everyone. Today's scripture reading is from Daniel 1 verses 1 through 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judea, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judea, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of Babylonia. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those that were chosen were from Judea, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Chief of officials gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. The word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, welcome to Trinity Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Brian. If it is your first time tuning in with us, I am so glad that you're here. If you have called Trinity home for many, many years, welcome back. Whether you're new or returning with us, uh, I encourage you to make sure to both um, subscribe and like in our various channels so that you can stay up to date, particularly with this new series that we have, which I will talk about in a moment. Now, when I started, I said, welcome to Trinity, and I actually meant that uh, in a very tangible and um, real way because I am here right now at Trinity Baptist Church on the roof filming our Sunday service. Now, when I thought about this idea of, you know, even just a couple weeks ago, I'm so excited for the time when I can come back to Trinity and be preaching at Trinity and not just from my couch. You know, gotta be honest, this wasn't exactly what I meant by that. Um, and yet, here we are today. And my guess is wherever you are tuning in from and um, whatever time of day it is and wherever location you're at, it's not exactly what you were expecting life would look like either. In fact, as a society, we're all kind of wrapping our heads around this idea that life isn't necessarily going to just cut and paste from what it was before to what it looks like in the future. Right? Things have changed and, and they've changed pretty rapidly around us and we don't really know what all this is going to look like in the future. And that, that uncertainty is unsettling. I mean, for a lot of us, it's this tension of, what, what's my future going to be? I, I feel insecure. I feel uncertain and I feel unsettled because of all of this. And, and it's because of that collective experience that I'm so excited to be talking about the book of Daniel. This is going to be an awesome series because the book of Daniel is an incredible book. Now, if you're, if you're new to checking out church or maybe you've never really read the Bible before, um, I'd encourage you to read. I encourage all of us to read the book of Daniel as we go through this. Um, but even for some of those of you who it's been a while, uh, or for a lot of us, when we think of the book of Daniel, what do we think of? 
okay, we think of the little uh, flannel graph, um, you know, prophet Daniel and some sleeping lions next to him. And, and that's an amazing story. It's kind of a gruesome story for kids. I don't know why that's such a common kid story, but, um, but there's so much more in the book of Daniel than just the story of Daniel and the lion's den. In fact, the lion's share of content in the book um, actually is prophecy, it's dreams, it's visions. It's about a sovereign God who is shepherding the rising and falling of nations towards uh, this end that he has proclaimed, his coming kingdom. There's amazing narratives in it, um, moments of, of incredible faith and miracles. By the way, that pun was absolutely intended. But when we talk about the lion's share of the content, it's not really about um, Daniel by himself. That's a part of it. But it's actually about this bigger weaving that God is doing uh, to bring about his work of redemption through the course of history. So when we come to it today, uh, we're going to jump into the text and start to understand how this story is grounded in some very traumatic moments in a young person's life about how life was never going to look the same again and how they responded in incredible faith in that place. Turn with me this morning to Daniel chapter 1. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV through this. Uh, you can grab whatever version you want, but, but turn there with us today. Daniel chapter 1 says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vassals of the house of God. And he brought to them the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Asphenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both to the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Now, that was just a whole bunch of stuff thrown at us. Let, let's uh, break some of it down here. First of all, from a historic context, right, this is happening as uh, Nebuchadnezzar was in some protracted military campaigns with what was really one of the other dominant uh, global powers at that time, Egypt. And traveling between Babylon and Egypt takes you through some of the various lands of uh, along the Mediterranean and the Middle, Middle East there and the ancient Near East. And so as he's going through in this battle with Egypt, a lot of these smaller kind of uh, city-states or kingdoms were, were throwing their lot in with Egypt, hopeful that their combined strength could kind of throw off this growing, dominant, aggressive uh, empire that was kind of starting to eat up all the regions around it. And you can read about this in other parts of scripture where God actually warns people not to go in with Egypt because it's not going to turn out well. Because remember, God is actually sovereign in this. Um, that's ignored and the cost is incredibly high. And so uh, Egypt eventually is deposed and in a costly battle, but still Nebuchadnezzar comes out of it as dominant. And as the back and forth of this happens over years, he starts scooping up some of these smaller kingdoms that are kind of caught between these, these global powers at play. 
And so the text says that Nebuchadnezzar came and he besieged Judah. Now, he had an interesting policy that kind of took a page from uh, the Assyrians earlier, which was to both um, kind of displace leadership in one area, replace them with other people who would be more committed to Babylon and keeping the status quo uh, of the new situation, and then moving them to his capital. This kind of had a dual effect. One was it really destabilized an area and a region to have all of its leadership, the, the educated um, kind of the thought leaders of the community just literally picked up and removed and people who were going to be more pro-Babylon and, and the taxes that were going to be imposed because of that in place. It really limited the ability of an area to kind of rise up against their oppressors and their conquerors. It also had the effect of adding to the coffers, so to speak, of Babylon, because now you're kind of taking the thought leaders um, and the cream of the crop from all over the region, and you're using them to help move forward the empire that just conquered them, which is a tragic situation to find yourself in if you're one of these people. And so we've got this interesting campaign that's going on. But aside from the history, I want us to, to check out the theology that happens really early in the book when it says this in verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. See, here's the question that, that, we're, that we inevitably ask in, in these moments, right? Whenever there's life is just completely upended and everything that we thought life would be, it's not. And, and the question that comes to our minds is, where's God? Where's God in this, all right? Where's, where's God in this, this uh, horrific moment for Judah and, and these people that have been taken, forced into slavery to, to both enrich and continue this machine that just destroyed everything that they loved? I mean, where's God in this? It's a similar question that we ask is, where's God in the middle of this pandemic? I mean, how many sirens do we hear going by that we just don't even notice because of, of all that's happening? I mean, wh where's God in this? Daniel actually answers that. Daniel says that God was there. And, and not just that God was there, God was actually in absolute control. See, it's tempting to go, okay, if God is there, is it that he doesn't care? Is it that, you know, we somehow haven't done enough is it that, you know, he's just uh, decided to walk away and, you know, I'm, I'm not really, or maybe it's even this, that God isn't powerful enough to stop Nebuchadnezzar and what's happening. And that was very much a leading thought of the day, right? Today, we tend to separate out religion as, as a separate contextualized thing in our culture, but that's not the case for the vast majority of world history, right? And so religion, particularly in Babylon, was very tied to uh, science, it was tied to leadership, politics, very much tied to military. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, was very much wanting to, to continue to propagate um, the, the faith of Babylon, which was antithetical actually to the God of the Bible. Um, and so the thinking was, well, if my army beat yours, and if I got to actually take all the items that you use to worship your God, right? Items that were in the temple, um, used for worship, well, then what does that say about my God and what does that say about yours? And the answer that we tend to jump to is, well, then it seems like Nebuchadnezzar's God was stronger because the God of Judah couldn't stop it. But that's actually not what Daniel says. Daniel says that 
Nebuchadnezzar acted and God allowed. See, see, the Bible casts sovereignty in this way, that, that we do have actions. Men and women take actions. But it's actually God that decides. It's God that allows. And God was the one who said, I am going to give them to you. You are not taking them from me. I am giving them to you. It's a, it's a, it's a very strong statement of a God who's in charge. And you go, okay, well, that answers the question of where was God? Um, and maybe it answers the question that we are asking even now, where is God in this? But that answer actually raises so many more questions than it answers. How do we wrap our heads around that? I want you to hold on to that because it's not answered now, but, but we'll see more of that as it unfolds. So kind of tuck, tuck that question away. But what it does say is God is sovereign and, and he is in control and he is the one who gave them into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. It wasn't taken, it was given because God is sovereign. Now, as, as we look through the rest of the story, um, the, these people that were taken, this kind of cream of the crop, a lot of them were, were younger, so um, a lot of them were teenagers at this time, taken from their families, all the, the dreams that they had for what life would look like, um, who you're gonna marry, what, what your career's gonna be, right? The finances, the history, the family, um, all the cultural identification just ripped out and they're taken and placed in Babylon to be trained to become good little Babylonians. So they're, they're trying to actively erase their identity, their religion, and just rebrand them as Babylonian leadership who are here to support and see Babylon succeed in their plans for uh, domination. And so in this whole setup, Right, these characters are helpless. Um, they're completely out of control. They, they've got no control over what's happening. Uh, they're faceless, they're nameless. I mean, you would, if there's anything that would say just victim, right, the story is, is leading us to that. And yet, we see something very different. Look at verse six. It says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. This is so interesting. In their attempt to completely erase their identity, I am ripping you apart from the life you knew. I am dropping you in a place you never wanted to be. And guess what? It's not going to go back. There is no way to turn back the clock on this thing. There's not a vaccine for, for Daniel and his friends that all of a sudden is going to make life go back to what it was, right? There, there is no, no silver bullet here that's going to change it. And even down to the fact that they're changing their names, right? You're no longer the name that was given uh, by your family that praises the God of your faith. I'm actually going to rebrand you with a name that praises the God of Nebuchadnezzar. So every time they hear their name being spoken, it's a reminder of captivity that they're in and this identity that's being washed away. And you would, you would think in this moment, right? I mean, these are teenagers. <laughs> I, like I struggle enough with just the change in the unknown and, and my situation is nothing as crazy as what they were going through. And I've lived a lot more life than that. Teenagers, you, you, you stop and you think, how are they gonna respond? I mean, it seems obvious that they're just gonna capitulate, that they're gonna either give up uh, and be sullen or they're just gonna kind of throw away their faith. 
But I want you to read the words, the very first words in this book about Daniel's actual actions, not the things that happened to him that he cannot control, like his uh, nation being conquered and being taken into slavery and dropped into this kind of brainwashing Babylonian program here. The very first, the actions he takes come in just the next verse here. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved. The very first thing that we see an action from Daniel is actually an internal one where Daniel is resolved. He makes a commitment. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave, remember, here's God again. It's not the eunuch, it's not Daniel. This is God who is sovereign, who is giving these things. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. This is, this is so amazing. Daniel, in this incredibly hard situation where life has been upended, there is no chance that's ever going to be come back. Daniel doesn't throw out his faith and Daniel doesn't live in this, this middle ground of, I'm just going to continue to, to mourn and um, be incapacitated, unable to move forward in life because of what has happened in the past or because the unknown of what's going to happen in the future. So what Daniel does is he actually resolves. He makes this commitment to go, I am going to live my life today because life is today. Your life is today. And God's plan for your life, the the plan that he has, God's will for you, is in this season. It's not just, well, whenever things go back to normal, then I'll have my life. Then I'll have the ministry that I want. Then I'll have the opportunity. Your life is today. And Daniel, I am certain, uh, is processing so many things of anger and mourning and grief and loss. And yet in that he pivots to not be trapped or stuck in that place, but he actually takes action and he resolves to live his life. And, and you know what? That meant trying to be successful in the new setting. And you go, well, wait a minute. Doesn't it seem like a betrayal? That's a hard call. And Daniel makes it. He goes, I am going to resolve. He, he, he tries to do his studies well. Um, he, he's trying to be respectful in, in the leadership that's, that's over him. But he also makes a stand and goes, I'm not just going to toss out my faith because you want to kind of, you know, scrub out all identity of my past and make me this kind of good, good little Babylonian. No, I am going to still continue to follow my commitment to God, even as I figure out what it looks like to, to be successful and live life as it exists not as I wish it were. And so he makes some really hard calls. And you know what I love about this? And we don't, this is a whole separate study, but I just want to flag it for you all to, to think on this and, and maybe study it on your own later. You know, there's this really um, interesting discussion of how does, how do faith and culture combine? Is it against culture? Is it a part of culture? Is it culture a part of it? There's all these different ways to frame it. But however you do that, Daniel is such an interesting study on how he goes about this to say, I am not simply here to, to say, I will never do anything that has the word Babylon on it ever. I, I'm just totally isolated or removed, nor does he go and say, whatever you ask of me, I, I'm going to do because you're in charge. 
he picks and chooses and finds out where do I need to, to kind of place uh, my, my line in the sand. And it wasn't things, surprisingly, like his name, <laughs> you know, he still seems to be going by that name and responding when people say it. Um, it, it, it certainly wasn't some of the, the tied in religious aspects with the study of both culture and the sciences. Again, the religion was very much embedded in lots of, of the court life. So it's not, you know, it's not that he was refusing that. He actually made the line at uh, the dietary laws for the Jewish people that, that God gave. That's an interesting call, you know? That's interesting that I'd love to know someday why he picked that and not some of the others. But where, wherever he did, he found that place to go, I'm going to try to thrive in my life as it exists now and and do my best and I'm going to carry my faith forward with me. I'm not going to leave it behind just because there's a lot of unanswered questions about how could have God allowed this to happen to me. And so he engages his faith and um, figures out how to do that. By the way, church, that is an incredibly important conversation for us today because more and more the culture around us um, looks very different than the, the culture uh, that God is calling us to build in scripture and the commands that he has. And it's very different. And so we need that same wisdom to go, what things are we okay with and what are we not? And how do we engage our faith when we find ourselves in a completely different world and reality than what we ever anticipated? Daniel does just that. And he does it in a respectful way. He approaches um, the eunuch, it, it may be an actual eunuch or the translation, it could be uh, just a government leader, but regardless, somebody who's influential. And Daniel wants to cut a deal and say, I, I, I for uh, religious and uh, reasons of conscience, can't, can't partake in this food. I would like to ask permission to be on a diet that fits with my religious beliefs. And, and the eunuch is very, you know, has kind of a tough position on this. Um, as the story unfolds and as we continue to go on through this, uh, we, we find the eunuch going, I don't know if that's such a good idea because first of all, it's a little insulting to go, hey, that food's not good enough because remember, this was the king sharing his food with people. This was supposed to be a huge bonus, okay? This was like, you're kind of getting the best of the best and if you're saying it's not good enough or that somehow that's offensive to God, what are you implying about the king on that and, and what he's providing or how he's going about it? So it's a touchy issue. Also, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't necessarily known for being the most flexible of bosses. Um, life was pretty cheap. And so the eunuch was probably pretty correct in saying, look, if I let you do this and it kind of gets out and, and you look like you're failing, it's my head on the line. And so you know what? Daniel takes a risk. Dan Daniel resolves. He goes, I, believing that God is sovereign, and, and even though he doesn't have all these questions answered as to why, he says, I'm going to live my life now, but I'm going to do it in faith. And I'm going to take a risk and, and follow God even into the unknown. I don't know where this is going to land, but I'm willing to try. And so he cuts a deal to, to do kind of a, a, a little bit of time to test it and see. And you know, at the very end of this story, when it, when it comes out to the end, it says this, verse 17. As for these four youths, Daniel and his friends as well, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king uh, had commanded that they should be brought in, remember kind of that three-year training program he was in, at the end of it, 
the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among them, out of all of them, there was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. God rewarded them for the resolve that they had to figure out what it looked like to thrive in the reality of their life and to do it with this heart and this faith, even amidst unanswered questions. No, I believe... I believe that God still rewards that today. And I don't know how long I'll be on this roof. <laughs> you don't know how long you're going to be on that couch or, uh, you know, in that chair, wherever you are viewing this from. We don't know what the future is, but, but we do know that God is in control. And he's actually in this process of unfolding this incredible plan of redemption that we're in just a small snapshot in, in, in this moment. And that instead of kind of being incapacitated and, and, and as, a, as a church, as a people going, you know what, when my life is going to start? My life is going to start when, when I'm not on this roof and I'm downstairs in, in our space and we're with everybody and, and life looks and feels the same. Our life is today. Your life is today. What will it look like for you to resolve to say, I'm going to live my life as it exists and believe that God's will for me is in this season, not just in the season to come. And to not be incapacitated by this fear of the unknown or this instability or, but what will next week look like? I don't know. God does. But our life is today. What would it look like for you to make that resolution to carry your faith forward in this moment? to live the life that God has actually put in front of you. And then believing that God rewards that. That it's not because these four people were just so intrinsically better than everybody else. It's actually because God rewarded them. God blessed them incredibly for their act of faith, for that act of, of a resolute heart that believes in, in worshiping and following a God, even with all these, these fill-in-the-blank questions that we don't know and we don't have answers to. And they were willing to risk and follow God even into the unknown. God rewards that. And you know what? I believe he still rewards that today. May you find strength and courage from Daniel's life so long ago for the life that God has for you today. And may you resolve to live it and live it in faith, trusting in a good and sovereign God who will work all things together.